The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's draft day in the NBA, and you know this podcast won't touch on it at all. He hears so many folks click the podcast off. If that was enough to drive you away, I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Don't worry. But hopefully many of you stuck around because this is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Vespers, and what I will say about the draft as I said on yesterday's podcast, is that these guys will be overdrafted. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's the same damn thing every time, too. The only guys that ever really cut through the muck from the rookies are the dudes that post strong percentages in both field goal and free throw percent. It's the way it always works with this. There are... It's almost like layers to some degree of the total rookie population. There's usually only maybe three or four that have category league fantasy value of any kind. And then of those three or four, there's usually only one that gets underdrafted. Mentioned on yesterday's podcast, Tyrese Halliburton was that guy this year. What did he do that other draft picks did not. He had the percentages. That's just the way it always works. Anthony Edwards was not good at all for like the first three and a half months this year. Then everybody else got hurt on his team and he came on strong as hell down the stretch. But over the entire season, and admittedly, he did play in all 72 games. So by totals, he actually had a pretty good year. By averages, he was number 120. It took a bunch of time for him to figure out how to sort of acclimate himself to the NBA game. And his field goal percent went up from like 38 the first half of the year to like 46, 47 the second half of the year. And even better than that, down the stretch, you need the percentages. In head-to-head leagues, he actually turned out to be a pretty reasonable draft pick because he was good down the stretch and he played in their ballgame. So that was useful. James Wiseman, the number two pick last year, not useful. LaMelo Ball uh, ended up being very good, but overdrafted because of how great he was. And then the injury derailed him. There was a chance he might have beaten that marker. He had a shot at it because of just how unbelievably impressive he was. He was a rookie that where the hype might not have even been hype enough. Patrick Williams, no. Okoro, no. Okongu, no. Hayes, no. Toppin, Avdia. Jalen Smith, Devin Vassell, no. None of these guys. The only guys in that top chunk that got close were Ball, because he was unreal. Better than any of us could have ever expected. He was drafted... Oftentimes, he was drafted pretty close to his brother, like 60s, 70s, and he probably would have beat that mark if he stayed healthy. He didn't, so he didn't. Edwards, who got better as the season went on, so he hit his mark by totals, although he was going, no, I guess he was going like around 100, so he beat his marker by totals, undercut it by averages, but he was useful, particularly in those head-to-head leagues. Roto, like, 
if you could have said, hey, I'm only going to use him on the games where he's playing better, yeah, that would have been great, except if you drafted him in Roto, you probably played him from the start of the year, and he was tanking you at that point. And then if you move outside of the top 10, I went past, I went to 11, Halliburton went at 12, he was the guy. And then it's just this laundry list of dudes that sniffed value for very brief stretches, but really couldn't hang on to it. Some names on that list from last year include Cole Anthony, Points Leagues had some opportunity there at the end of the year, Isaiah Stewart uh, in Detroit. At the end of the year, when Mason Plumley went down, we talked about him on yesterday's podcast. But again, like that's not a that's not a hit. He was good for about four weeks at the end of the year. Sadiq Bay at nineteen was good the last like one or two months. You can go all the way down the board, man. Look at any of these guys. Xavier Tillman had like a week when Jonas Valanciunas was out. But there's no point in going farther than that because anybody that's beyond this point is going to be a rookie that gets underdrafted. So they, by by uh, reputation alone, have a, a better opportunity to be a value. The guys that we look at are the dudes taken in the top, well, 15 really, but like with the play-in game and all that stuff. The lottery is the top 14. So basically we look at the top 14. And this last year, Tyrese Halliburton was the only guy in that to uh, beat his mark both by averages and by totals. Edwards beat his mark by totals, and Ball beat his mark by averages. That's it. So there's going to be a lot of hype tonight, and there should be. I mean, it's fun. Teams, like, bad teams get good players that are going to help them soon-ish. And so that's exciting for those teams. But, like... I don't, I don't know much about these players, but I can tell you Cade Cunningham, who Woj has already announced is going first to the Pistons, he's going to play a ton, he's going to do a ton, and he's probably going to have some issues with uh, NBA-level stuff. Not because he's not good, but just because that's the way things translate. He shot 44% during his one college season, average 20, 6, and 3.5, with a little under a block, 1.5 steals, in a very high-usage role, playing almost every minute of his damn college basketball games this last year. That 44% in college is probably not going up his rookie year in the NBA. He's out there in Detroit taking a whole crap load of shots, which I reckon he will be if, he, if Woj is right, and he always is, and Cade's the, the first overall player, player taken. We just talked about the Pistons. He'll cut into shots being taken by Sadiq Bey, by Jeremy Grant, stuff of that nature. It doesn't change how I feel about the big men as a potential opportunity spot in Detroit. But if you think he's just going to step in and shoot like 49% from the field, you got another thing coming. At least with Cade, uh, he can shoot the, three, the free throw. He was a 85% foul shooter, so that won't hurt him. Uh, but he'll probably get drafted in like top 40 or 50 based on all the hype that's going to be surrounding him, and there's very little chance he actually gets all the way to that mark. I, I just... Anyway, all that to say, this is going to happen a lot with these rookies. You can know everything you want to know about them. If you're going to be someone who takes a shot on one of these rookies, and as I've mentioned, I don't know that much about them, look for someone who had good percentages in both field goal and free throw at college because that's the guy that could translate over to the NBA. There's a lot of talent in this draft, so these guys are going to get hyped. They are going to get drafted high, 
and that's going to create a Dan Vespers old man squad for the ages. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to capitalize like a son of a gun. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespers if you want more old curmudgeonly takes like that one. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoopball is our benevolent overlord. The crew at Hoopball HQ. Hoop-ball.com or Hoopball Tweets over on Twitter because that's jammed up right now with draft stuff because not everyone at Hoopball is an old crotchety fella yelling at the clouds. That's reserved for me and uh, a few other select fun folks. Hoopball also has live draft coverage tonight. That's at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. Alan Soroki, Will Harris, and a laundry list of experts will cart you through the NBA draft, even though we actually do already know the uh, top three thanks to Woj. Regardless, they'll be breaking that down from a reality and from a fantasy standpoint, which is pretty damn cool. First time we've ever had live draft coverage at Hoopball. It's at YouTube, and we're tweeting the link out religiously throughout the day from the at Hoopball Tweets Twitter handle, so do give them a follow. Also of note, before we dive into our one fantasy team of the day, or our one real team and their fantasy implications of the day, is if you'd like to start gambling... Now is a wonderful time to do so. You can bet on draft props with our buddies at mybookie.ag. And I will not only open your account for you, I will also make your first deposit. So hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Either way, just say, Dan, I want to learn how to bet. And I will walk you through it. I will be your betting Sherpa as we ascend the mountain together, win some money the two of us and hell if you're feeling frisky go get the wager pass for 9.99 before the price goes up on august 16th and same deal with the fantasy pass if you lock it in now your price will never go up provided you leave it on team du jour feels so fancy saying it like that our team of the day as we continue to explore the central division we've already knocked out uh detroit that was on yesterday's podcast or rather, I guess Detroit was two days ago. I am silly. I can't remember what order we did it in. We've done uh, the Pistons and the Cavs in the Central Division, but I don't remember which day was which. Uh, you guys do, I'm sure. You'll yell at me. Dan, Detroit was... Yeah, okay, I looked it up. It was two days ago. We did Detroit two days ago. We did the Cleveland Cavaliers yesterday, and I've had a little bit of a thing for centers in the Central Division so far. Let's see if we can break that up today. By taking a look at the Milwaukee Bucks. The champs. The Milwaukee Bucks. The champs coming back to try to repeat the 2021-2022 season. They are uh, a bit cash-strapped at the moment, which should make this breakdown one of our easiest of the year. And that's fine because most of you guys are going to go watch the draft anyway. Chris Middleton is still owed uh, about 100... How much does that come out to be? About 110-ish? Is it more than that? That's about $110 million over the next three years. Third year of that is a player option that he will almost undoubtedly exercise. Giannis is signed in the next millennium for good reason. Uh, He took the Supermax 40 mil, 42, 46, 49, $52 million he'll be making. That's a player option in 2025. He's not going anywhere. Drew Holiday is signed for four more years, part of his big old deal. I mean, yeah, these these are large numbers we're talking about here. $130 million over the next four seasons for him. And 
the guy that, as a Laker fan, I will never forgive them for irritating him to the point that he wouldn't come back to L.A., and that's Brooke Lopez, who made sense as the perfect stretch five on whatever team you're building. He is also set to make about 30 mil, ah, excuse me, 27 mil over the next two seasons. And then there's still more. I mean, those are uh, three giant contracts and one medium-sized one. Maybe we should look at it from the other standpoint, just tell you who's coming off the books for Milwaukee. Jeff Teague and his veterans minimum. Thanasis Antetokounmpo, who I'm sure they'll bring back because... Have you seen his last name? And P.J. Tucker, who the Bucks traded for midseason. He was making $8 million this year. I'm sure they'd love to have him back for his toughness, but he will have many a suitor just based on how he plays, what he does, and how he fits around superstar-level talent. You know, everybody's going to be making a play at old P.J. At age 36, still tough as a... He's, he's like a truck, man. So what do we make of this from a fantasy standpoint? Well, the Bucks very clearly had four and change fantasy players. The and change is probably where things get a little bit interesting, but let's just look at this from an overall standpoint. Over the course of this calendar year, the Bucks got extraordinarily healthy seasons from Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis... Pat Connaughton, Bryn Forbes, and healthy enough, but not perfectly healthy seasons from Giannis Antetokounmpo and Drew Holiday. They were in a season where a lot of your fortune was determined by how well your team could actually get through a year. The Bucks were a relatively healthy basketball team. That's also good news for us on the handicapping front because it means we don't have to look at them and think, well, what if this guy was in or what if this guy was in or what if this guy was out? We saw what they were. We saw what they were. Giannis was number 17 on the season, and he picked it up as the season went on, which uh, has actually kind of been his MO, I think, the last couple of years now. Um, Still can't shoot free throws. Very high volume, 69% at the free throw line. Although his last 30 games, he shot 72%. And the interesting note on that little thing is that if Giannis could crack 70% at the free throw line, he'd be a first rounder. That's how close he is to getting to that spot. Like if you look at the entire season for Giannis, he was number 17 shooting 68.5% at the free throw line. Over his, or really the last 30 games that whoever may have played, he shot 72%, so about 2.5%, 3.5% better, excuse me. No, that's the, yeah, 3.5% better at the free throw line. And he was number 11. So he jumped from mid-second round to uh, late first round, and that's a huge deal because it's really hard, as we've talked about before, to make headway when you get up into those uppermost echelon of, of fantasy value. Like, the, the jumps between each spot are big. You can't just have one good game. Like, when you're number 95, you could have one big game and go to number 85. If you're number 17, one big game moves you to number 16. That's how It's hard. Do I believe that 72% is sustainable for Giannis? I think we have to assume 
that it is. Because over his entire career, he is a 72% foul shooter. It's just that over the last two seasons, he's dropped to 63 and then 68 and a half uh, the, the two, I guess, COVID-surrounded years. His other stuff stayed great. Field goal percent stayed high. He added a three-pointer last year, and that carried over into this season. Still rebounds well, blocks shots, gets steals. Like, does a, he's, he's an incredible basketball player. We saw after he made that adjustment late, well-deserved finals MVP. Here's the problem with Giannis. I can say, I can talk till I'm blue in the face about whether his free throw shooting is going to be good enough to get him into the first round. He's going to get drafted in the top six because of all the other stuff he does, because eight category leagues, he jumps, points leagues, he really jumps, and that's going to pull his ADP at big box sites higher. When I say higher, I mean earlier. Because big box sites don't list their preseason rankings based on what type of league you're in, because there are just too many damn leagues. You can get that information on your league as the season goes along because it'll sort by which categories you're, you're using. And uh, I know I personally use the Basketball Monster player rank page because you can turn categories on and off. But when you're looking at ADP, like on Yahoo, and we talk a lot about Yahoo, for instance, I'm largely in nine-category roto leagues with a games cap. It's going to show me an ADP, or they called it O-rank, and then they called it X-rank, and they called it preseason rank. They've rotated through all sorts of ridiculous names for it. It's showing me a number that's based on all of the drafts they've run at that website. The ADP isn't going to discriminate between 8-cat and 9-cat leagues. It's not discriminating between points leagues as well, although, admittedly, with Yahoo, more category leagues than points, where with ESPN, you've got the heavy dose of, of points format stuff that really mucks up the draft rank. So, like, a guy like Giannis, for instance, who's bad at foul shooting and bad at turnovers... Also, not as terrible this year, by the way. His ADP is always going to be earlier than it should be in a nine-category league. Which means, me, you guys listening to me, those of you that are in nine-cat, you're probably not going to draft him anyway. Like, there's almost no way he's going to fall to you at, like, ten. Well, it's not going to happen. He's just not going that far. So why am I wasting all this air on him? Well... I, I suppose he deserves some attention because he's really damn good. The Bucks I would rather take a look at are uh, basically everybody else <laughs> because everybody else on the team doesn't have that one massive anchor that's dragging them through a particular league types. For instance, over the entire season, the second-ranked Milwaukee Buck was Drew Holiday. And that was largely a miss by the fantasy community, myself included. Because as you looked at his stuff, the thought was, there's no way this dude plays 34, 35 minutes a game this season. If you remove 10% of his playing time, he's going to have to do all kinds of other stuff to make up for it. And guess what? He did. Drew Holiday shot 50% this year, which was damn impressive and a number that ah, I know I personally never saw coming in a million years. This is a 46% career shooter who had one year in New Orleans where he shot 49.5%. It felt like the outlier because every other time it's been 44, 45, 47, 45, 46, and then 50. And that is the magic of being wide open all the time. Also, last year, Drew Holiday shot 71% at the free throw line. That number came back 
279, which was one percentage point above his career mark. Drew Holiday was the rare, and I mean hyper-rare scenario, where a guy losing usage didn't lose fantasy value. It almost never happens. His other stuff stayed pretty similar. He lost a couple of minutes of playing time, so the rebounds went down by 0.3, assists went down by 0.6, steals stayed the same, blocks came down a little bit, and then turnovers, turnovers went way down because he wasn't the primary ball handler on his basketball team. That type of stuff is not what you should expect from anyone going forward as their usage takes a hit. I think with Drew Holiday, too, as you look towards next year, he probably becomes a guy that gets drafted pretty damn close to where he belongs. Let me explain myself on this one. He's coming off a great year, which is going to move his ADP earlier than it was this last season. He was going in the late, uh, mid to late 30s in a lot of drafts this last year, and he dramatically outperformed that, although, again, he did miss 13 games. The expectation that he could shoot 50% from the field again is one that could happen, but I'd only give it about a 25% chance of actually happening. Odds are, that number will come down. I don't know by how much. Maybe only 49%, maybe 48%. Maybe, maybe he, he does it, do it. Like, it could happen. But I would say 80% chance that his field goal percent drops a little bit. And if that's no longer a positive for him, then everything else kind of comes with it. Points will go down, threes will go down, field goal percent goes down, and he falls back. Maybe it's only a little bit. Maybe he falls from number 20 on a per-game basis down to, like, 30. But it's possible that a bunch of stuff tapers off on for a team that now, with a slightly shortened offseason, went through the finals. And so he probably gets drafted, what do we think, late 20s? And that's a relatively safe play for him. I just, I don't see how he beats that mark again. It actually pretty well parallels what we've seen out of Chris Middleton, who had that one year, and Middleton, by the way, really good basketball player, but he had that one year, career 46% shooter, where he shot 50%. It was last year before the shutdown. 49.7 from the field, 41.5 from three, and 91.6 from the free throw line. All of those numbers individually are repeatable. But all at the same time is where things start to unravel a little bit. He was over his career mark in all three percentages, if you include three-point percent in there. Not that that's going to be a fantasy category, but like just looking at how he was shooting the basketball. So this year, his free throw percent went down by two. His field goal percent went down by two. His three-point percent stayed largely the same. And the other stuff, the peripheral stuff, was mostly the same as well. Steals came up a little bit. His minutes were actually up this year compared to last year. And assists were back up this year as well, uh, which was nice because that kind of helped float him in a way that otherwise he would have dropped pretty far. Middleton finished at number 41 on a per-game basis, but by totals he was actually quite good. And it brings back into focus something that perhaps was lost in the injury, uh, not the injury, the COVID-shortened season last year where he played only 62 out of their 72 games. Outside of one debilitating injury for Middleton back in 2016 that cost him two-thirds of a season, he actually has been a 10-category guy. 
eliminate his rookie year where he didn't get to play much with Detroit. Basically, since he's been a full-time NBA player, he's missed 0, 3, 3, about 50, more or less, 0, 5, 10, and 4. He plays. Middleton plays. And so his per-game value is number 41, which is probably never so slightly behind where he was drafted this last year, but his totals value was number 18. So he beat his ADP by totals. The deep playoff run does make it feel like rest days are coming for Middleton. But on the whole, he plays through stuff. And if he falls into the fourth round, I think you grab him, understanding he probably won't play 95% of his team's games this coming year, the way that he was pretty close to doing this season. But he's not going to be that far off. Five, six, maybe rest days scheduled. Couple of other lingering things that pop up with him. I think there's a very real chance he plays 72 or more games this coming year, and I don't know that everybody's going to be able to make that claim. So among the big-name guys on the Bucks, the one that I think I'd be targeting this coming year is Middleton. Because he could actually be ever so slightly better. Like, say, his field goal percent comes back up into the 49 range instead of 47.5. It might not, but it would positively impact a whole lot of what he's doing. Brooke Lopez was also freakishly healthy this year. 70 out of 72 games. He actually led the charge for the Bucks on that front. Played only 27 minutes a game, however, as his number starts to come down a little bit just because of the way the NBA is moving. Although he only played 27 minutes a game last year also. He was at 29 his first season with the Bucks. I think if you're grading this out, you look at this season from Brooke Lopez, and you think through a couple of things. First, his blocks were way down. Was there anything obvious to explain that drop-off? Or was this just a scenario where he should have been in that neighborhood the last couple of years, but was actually overperforming? The reality is probably somewhere in between. He's a career 1.8 blocks guy in 30 minutes a game, so moving, losing 10% of that would actually take him down to about 1.6 or a little over that. With how fast the NBA moves, that's more opportunities for him to block shots. So you can probably look at some of his early career stuff where he was at one point, like he had a season with Brooklyn where he was at 1.4 blocks in 29 minutes a game. That was probably on the low side. And then a year where he played 34 minutes in Brooklyn, he was blocking 2.5 shots a game. Again, the reality is somewhere in between, probably about 1.7. So the 1.5 this year, a little on the low side, but the 2.4 last year, probably not a number he's going to match. However, he went back to shooting 50% this year. And it wasn't the three-pointers that were making the huge difference against last year. Yeah, possibly. But against the previous seasons, no. The difference was that Brooke Lopez got his two-point shot back this year. He was much more like early Brooklyn years, Brooke Lopez, shooting 57.5% from, uh, sorry, 63% from two. And his effective field goal percent was basically as high as it's been any year in his career. That's great and all, but it actually doesn't augur all that well for Brooke going forward. All of those nice metrics, 50% from the field, 85 at the foul line, still playing 27 minutes, only got him to top 85 on a per-game basis. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, I guess we should say, he played 70 games, so number 46 by totals. But if you're looking at Lopez this coming year as a possible Dan Vespers old man squad guy, there's a higher 
than average likelihood. I would say better than 50%. He, he gets worse before he gets better. That is to say, field goal percent probably comes back down to maybe 48. Free throw maybe comes back down to 81 or something of that nature. Maybe the blocks come back up to 1.7. Maybe the three-pointers go back up a little bit, although that's been trending down for him as well as he's taken more two-point shots. All of these things are possibilities, but we operate on probabilities. And the probability is things that Brooke Lopez did well this year were in greater number than things he did poorly. Just based from a pure analysis standpoint, he's not going to take more shots. He's not going to get more minutes. He's not going to take, maybe he'll take an extra half a three-pointer a ball game. Maybe a couple of tenths of a block shot. That's probably the most likely of things that could get better for him. So Brooke Lopez probably now profiling as an 80 to 100 range per game center and play deep into the playoffs. He's not going to be one of the guys I target for in a very rare twist because he's been an old man squad type of guy for a long time. This year, probably not. And then the other names on the Bucks that are worth mentioning uh, a little bit quicker than those four big name guys, Bobby Portis who's likely to decline his player option this coming season. He had a big playoffs. He'll have a market. He's set to make only 3.8 if he exercised uh, his options. He'll go try to make some more money elsewhere. If Tucker comes back, he's not a fantasy option. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo has floated inside and outside, kind of bouncing back and forth between being a fantasy value and not. I don't think there's enough usage for him personally, at least until he fixes one of his two percentages. Portis was the guy who somehow stayed above water for like four months this year until it finally all started to come apart a little down the stretch when Brooke Lopez started to play better. And that's the other half of the uh, big man or fringe guy analysis is that as Brooke Lopez got better, started taking an extra shot per game, became a top 75 guy instead of a top 85 guy, Portis bounced back to top 130. And it actually, it like as the season progressed, that number sort of became more and more solidified where Portis was like top 75 for the first two months and then it was like top 100 and then it was top 130 and then it was top 150 the last month. Although for Lopez in that stretch, he was number 84 and I can't fully figure out why. I think that's just a magic of small sample size because Brooke Lopez was actually playing his best ball down the stretch when he averaged 14 points, 1.8 blocks, shot the ball really well, but didn't take many three-pointers. I guess that's why the, the numbers came down. He actually started to take more twos in the Milwaukee offense, and that hurt his fantasy value, although, honestly, I'd rather have him taking more twos and not hurting you in field goal percent in any way, maybe even helping it from time to time. So no to the fringe guys on Milwaukee. No likely to Giannis, because unless you're in a points league, or I guess some eight-cat, He's probably going to go too early. No, probably to Drew Holiday because he usually does miss a couple of ball games. He's likely to take a slight step back in, in his percentages this coming year. Middleton is a maybe. He's hovering between a maybe and a yes based on where I think he gets drafted, which I think is going to be in the 40s, and I would probably take a flyer on him. Not even a flyer. I, I think I'd probably take a chance on him in the 40s because he's durable. That makes him a really nice head-to-head -head grab also. And then Brooke Lopez, if he gets drafted before 80, he's a no for me. If he gets drafted after 80, he's a yes. That's the cutoff for me because if he stays healthy, he beats that. If he doesn't, he probably doesn't. 
Also, another guy who lately has been better in head-to-head than Roto, but he can rack up blocks if he has a better blocking year this coming season then he beats that mark, especially by totals. And that, sirs and madams, is your Milwaukee Bucks. We will handle one more Central Division team on tomorrow's show. We'll talk a little bit draft results, although not so much what they mean as just what they are. And, uh, yeah, that'll be that. That'll take us into the weekend. We'll finish up the Central Division on Monday, maybe because that's free agency, so we'll have a whole lot of stuff going on. Look for some uh, videos from HoopBall as free agency starts to circle around as well. That's another good reason to subscribe to the HoopBall YouTube channel in addition to the fact that we've got live draft coverage running on that bad boy. Again, that's at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time today. I am Dan Bespris. Come let me know you'd like to gamble. Perhaps I could talk you into it. I will open your account. I will put money in it for you. My own cash. Throwing it out of my pocket. All right, it's the hoop ball pocket. Regardless, it's not promo bucks. It's real cash for you to bet. There's no rollover requirement. You just bet it once. If you win it, you can take it out. I don't care. Or let it ride. Yeah, there you go. Get nuts. Get Let's get silly. I was... Stupid story to finish the podcast out. You guys know I worked in minor league baseball for about 10 years. There was a season, and at this point, I, I couldn't I couldn't even tell you within three years which season it was. I couldn't even tell you which team I was working for at the time. But there was a season where one of the players, a Dominican-born kid, who was learning English, and that's the case with a lot of uh, young Dominican baseball players, is they've only been in the States for a couple of years, if that. And they kind of learn key phrases or funny phrases Bef- and like the the and it's what I'm sure I would do if I lived in a foreign country. Also, you learn the required stuff and the funny stuff. And so, at the beginning of every road trip, at the back of the bus, you'd hear someone yell out, "Let's get silly," and uh, that was that young player. I don't think he made it to the big leagues, but if he did, I'm sure we would have heard that story from a big league team instead of on a fantasy NBA podcast with me. Have a great Thursday, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Enjoy the draft tonight if uh, all the picks aren't given away beforehand. Later. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.